Hello and welcome to All Change Please, our brand new podcast about leaving a big city behind and starting afresh somewhere new. We are Jane and Jean Anne, journalists and friends who enjoyed our own love affairs with London before settling down with less racy, more reliable locations. Jane to Bexley in Kent and Jean Anne to our hometown of Derry. Each episode, we'll speak to fellow city quitters about why they swiped left on the metropolis, how they took the leap and what their new life's been like. Because with searches for homes outside the capital surging, we know it's something a lot of you are considering too. Now, we know that for years people have been priced out of big cities and increasingly so recently with young people really struggling to get on the property ladder or cope with sky high rents in cities like London and Dublin and New York. Our guest today is hopefully going to combat that. Our guest is Maggie Malloy and she really is on a mission to tackle that. She runs the Instagram account Cheap Irish Houses and when you introduced her to me and that Instagram account, I was hooked. Basically, she unearths bargain properties all over the country, but they really need a lot of work. They're disused. I mean, some don't have roofs on. Um, <laughs> and this has all been inspired by our own experience buying her first home. She's got more than 100,000 followers on Instagram and she recently presented a show on the topic here on Irish TV. She's also a really talented illustrator, so I think she'll have some really good advice for people about relocating somewhere cheaper and remote working, which of course we're all doing right now. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what she's going to say. Let's get started and talk to Maggie now. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so pleased to have you on, you know, particularly post-lockdown. People are in the market for a bargain beyond a city. Um, Although I personally come out in hives just at the thought of a renovation project. So I'm going to need some persuading on this one. But how can you see past a crumbling old wreck and think of it as home? I think, I suppose for me, it was necessity. Like, I like old houses, don't get me wrong. And I would have probably always chosen an old house over a new house. But I mean, I would have given it to move into one that was already done up as well by somebody else. But I, I genuinely just couldn't afford it. Like, I was 23 or 24 when I bought. And I mean, I had approval for 100,000. And you have to bear in mind, like, this was the beginning of the boom. So, I mean, 100,000 got you very little in any part of Ireland, but it got you less in Wexford where I was trying to buy. So it's always been kind of this ripe commuter belt for Dublin. So it's always been quite expensive, you know, to kind of get your toe in on the property ladder up there. So I just, I, I mean, I didn't have a choice, really. <laughs> I think that was me anyway. And I've, I've read uh, a couple of features of you where you said you were quite homesick living in Cork. Is that right? For me, it was, I was so homesick. And it's so funny now thinking that I live so far away from Wexford. Nearly yeah. <laughs> as far as I did. Why do you think Cork wasn't for you? So like when I moved to Cork originally, I moved, my sister got a job with the same company and um, the both of us went together. And I mean, Kinsale, where I lived, where the company was based, is it's quite a um, a seasonal town. You know, it's very mm-hmm. holiday resorty. So when it comes to the winter, like the whole place just shuts down. So it's it's very seasonal and you tend to kind of it can be there's a great big turnover of people who live there. So it's very hard to make connections long term, I think, in the place. Um, yeah, and I was just kind of traveling back up to Wexford every weekend. And oh, I kind of oh. thought to myself, what am I doing? You know, if I'm making this, because it's a long drive. Like it's, yeah. I'm thinking like three hours or more, whereas Tipperary is only two and a half yeah. on a slow day, you know. <laughs> but I think that, that homesickness is something that Jane and I have probably experienced as well. It's it's a real thing, isn't it? It's it's not just a notion that it actually, it, it can really hit you. It can. And it can, I think it can hit you kind of in different ways, because like when I'm here in Tipperary, I'd be homesick, too. You know, and I'm obviously at two and a half hours from my family. I'm quite far away and we're a very close family. 
So mm-hmm. it's it's a long drive, you know, but I think when you're two and a half hours away, but you're content and you're building a life, you know, when you have a circle of people, it's a lot different than being two and a half hours away and kind of, you know, just being kind of not really having anybody, you know. So I think it can be different. A lot of it is about the community you build up where you are, you know, and, and going somewhere where people, I think, are quite open to that as well. I know in Kinsale, again, because it was quite seasonal, it like the locals were fantastic, but everyone else just came and went, you know, mm. constantly, you know. Yeah, you were, you were still in your um, you were still in your early twenties when when you moved, Maggie. Um, you moved to the countryside at that age. What was that like? <laughs> well, I'd grown up in the countryside. I mean, Wexford, where I am from in Wexford, was as rural when I grew up as Tipperary is for me now. So I'm totally used to this. Like I'm very used to the local like news agents being three miles away and the local supermarket being half an hour's drive away. You know, this is just rural life for a lot of people. So I grew up in that, you know, we had one car and my dad would have had it in work. So during the day, if we were at home, you didn't go anywhere. You know, you played with your brothers and sisters. You know, it's just, <laughs> you, that got you prepared for lockdown then, didn't it? <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, yeah, sure. I wasn't phased at all. <laughs> well, between the fact that I've worked for, from home for so many years yeah. and the fact that I'm, I'm used to like a level of isolation. But I think a lot of people in rural Ireland are quite used to that, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, though, Maggie, that given that you were sort of in your early 20s, I think at that stage, me and Jane were still kind of, rinsing the 20s uh, for all they were worth but um, did you miss the night nightlife side of things moving to the countryside at that age moving to Tipperary this like we would have always when we grew up if you went to a pub you someone had to drive you know you didn't there were no taxis even where we were because like even at the three miles from our house there was a little small town that was so small it didn't have a taxi service it didn't have a reliable taxi service so you were kind of at the whim of whether the guy who did taxi was willing to do taxi that night. <laughs> you know, so like if you're in the pub and he's in the pub with you, you're not going home. <laughs> so you couldn't. I mean, so we're used to one person staying sober, you know, and driving yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's kind of I think, just part of country life. And you're used to as well, you know, drinking in other people's houses and stuff. I think it's a very country thing to do that. Tell us about the, the house that you settled on, Maggie, because um, you've actually made it into something really incredible, but it wasn't quite like that when you found it. No, no. I mean, I see a lot of the houses now that I feature and they're in so much better condition than mine. And about half really? the price, about half oh, wow. the price mine was, you know, because you forget, like, you know, when you're thinking like 2004, 2005, you know, I mean, prices were so expensive back then. The thing that drew me to my to my place, I think, originally was that, right, first of all, it was quite a big two story farmhouse, you know, so that's that was for me thinking, right, it's a substantial property if I'm going to buy it, which is nice, because if I bought a tiny little cottage, it would have been totally fine for me then. But when you're thinking about having kids and stuff and it had like, you know, it had outbuildings and stuff, it had one of those traditional farmyards out the front, you know, that kind of goes in like a, a kind of a semicircle out the front of the house. So that was lovely. Um, But it had like a big red barn and it had a stream running down the side of the house and I had like a little far little kind of maybe a third of an acre of forestry just on the other side of the stream that was also mine and I was like oh my god wow just so to me it was like you know when you dream about like what kind of house you'd live in yeah. So I could see past all the other stuff because it had a red barn and a stream and trees. <laughs> <That was 
love that. I was like, I was heartbroken about two or three years ago. We had a really big snow. The red barn fell down and I was heartbroken. And at the time I was so broke and I was like, I would genuinely consider rebuilding that just because I miss it so much. And there's like this gap in my yard now where this lovely big red hay barn used to be. What's the first thing that you did, like, uh, to do it up? What was, can you remember the first sort of thing well, you took on? Well, it didn't have a front door, so... Oh, it a front door. <laughs> <laughs> it was clear. So I'll tell you what the first thing was, because this is so funny. So I came from a rental, and I had um, Sky TV in my rental. And this is so funny, because when I was leaving the rental, I kind of thought, oh, sure, this sale's going to go through. Great. You know, I left the rental in November. I moved in with my parents for a month. I was like sleeping on the dining room floor. This is going to be perfect. And I rang Sky and I was like, can you guys um, just put this on hold, you know, because I'm moving out of this place. And they were like, yeah, that's no problem. So just give us a ring as soon as you move into your new place if you want to continue with it. So I was like, yep, perfect. You know, early 20s, Sky TV is your main priority. (laughs) Everything you pay for. (laughs) And um, I remember when I got the house ringing them and going oh I'm just letting you know you know that I'm I'm ready to kind of get that you know moving forward again and I think within two days of me getting the keys to the house the sky van was out and I had this shiny sky dish on the front of this derelict house that had no power and it had no door <laughs> 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 and I was like oh, I can't even use this and they're like, yeah, but it's set up now. And they were so efficient. And I remember thinking, oh that's gonna, people in the community are going to think that was my first priority. <laughs> <laughs> Forget the door, you've got your sky. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sorted. So like, but when I moved in, like I had the, so there was no wiring in the house. There was wiring in it from about maybe 50 years beforehand. So it was like that old brown switches and stuff. To, so there was no power. So I had a, ge- a little generator. I used to come down on the weekends and I had a little generator and I would like use it just to do kind of the bare minimum things that I needed to do. All the work I did in the beginning, I did, you know, I did stuff that didn't need power. So it was like painting the house, you know, washing stuff, cleaning stuff. A lot of what I did was just kind of couldn't have power. And it, it took me ages even to get the power in. I remember only that a neighbor came up to see me and went, how are you getting on? Um, have you got your power in? And I said, no, no, we're still waiting on it. And he was like, I know somebody and I'm going to give them a ring and within a couple of days someone had come out and we had the power on it. (laughs) So once I had power, you see, I could move in. I love that. You you sort of started posting on Cheap Irish Houses in 2018 and then it just blew up and went viral, didn't you? Why do you think it struck such a nerve with people? It's hard to know because I kind of always thought I I was just weird (laughs) that I liked old houses like this. And it was only, I did a a feed a while ago um, because I use Instagram a lot for my businesses. I kind of think it's quite a great way to, you know, promote myself and all. And I did a little feed a while ago and it was called Ireland Lost. And what I used to do was I used to just go around and if I saw a derelict house, I'd take a photograph of it just because it was more kind of me recording them before they're gone. So I used to do that and it was just a hobby I did. Um, I got to a stage where I'd kind of taken photographs of all the houses that I ever drove around. And because it wasn't something really that ever made me money or anything, I couldn't justify just going off on a random trip to a different county to do this. So I kind of thought one winter, maybe I'll just, you know, have a look and see, is there any for sale? You know, I mean, because the state agents now have already taken the picture of it. So I could just put it up and maybe someone might get a sale of it as well. And I put a couple of them up and one of them was like 20,000. And the people who followed me, which bear in mind was less than a thousand people, like it wasn't a lot of people. (laughs) And they they were like, oh, my God, is this actually for sale? Oh, my God. And, you know, and I was 
like, yeah, no, I'll just put the link up at the top and then you can go and look at it, kind of started getting more momentum. And I kind of thought, Jeannie, maybe this actually might be worth changing over to doing it just about houses that are for sale because it's actually more beneficial to people. So Maggie, it's really it's really struck a chord and in fact you've got your own TV series as well now. Yeah, it it kind of went a little bit crazy, all right, over the space of the past year. I mean I think that the TV show was was something that kind of needed to be done because if the Instagram feed had brought so much awareness to it, there's still this whole other generation of people that don't use Instagram and you know a lot of the people who watch RTE actually own these houses and own the houses that actually aren't up for sale any you know yet and it's kind of really good to maybe let people see that there is actually some potential there for them to make money but also to kind of get a bit of life I think back into rural Ireland which is a huge thing for me. And a lot of our our listeners will be based in England and Scotland and Wales um, and they might also be considering a move to somewhere more affordable what would you say to them? Well I mean every country has this kind of a mix, you know, when it comes to, you know, expensive parts and less expensive parts. So I think, you know, anybody in any country can just get on the internet, have a look on the property sites, like filter them from least expensive. And once you do that, just filter out building sites because you're just going to get bombarded with building sites that are like 20,000 and stuff like that that have no planning Mm -hmm. on them. So, you know, get the building sites out of the mix and whatever country you're in, just start looking from the bottom up and you'll be really, really surprised at what you find. You know, I think every country has that. You know, what like what I do isn't massively specialised. It is just, I think that I did it at the right time, you know, and it's not something people can't do at home. The only thing I do is I just take a little bit of the work out of it for other people because they can just, you know, log on to Instagram and just have a look at what I found but I mean you could totally do it on your own like I did it on my own when I bought my house <laughs> yeah it's um it's an interesting thing isn't it because I think um we're, we're very often being used to being served things on a plate so when we have to go actually and do something we're a bit like oh <laughs> <laughs> so you helping people out in that process has, has been a really great thing actually you're sort of um raising awareness and you're right I think rural communities everywhere are suffering to be honest you know we're all packed into cities aren't we yeah. and they're these rural communities that are kind of being left to sort of just fend for themselves a little bit yeah, I mean, it's totally true. Like, it's very hard for governments to justify large spends in places where not a lot of people live. But at the same time, people aren't going to move there if someone doesn't invest in infrastructure and broadband and things like that. And it's such a kind of a catch-22. It's terrible. And, you know, I kind of like I look at the Instagram feed a bit like if this brings this kind of enthusiasm for moving to rural parts of the countryside, if this brings an enthusiasm for that, that we were all hoping the government would do over the last 20 years and they haven't, then isn't it good? You know, <laughs> you know, they it's just not do their job for them. Yeah, I mean, like they, <laughs> now they can just come in and sort out the other stuff. right? Yeah. <laughs> You've been working from home for a long time, haven't you? Like you said, as an illustrator, but it's obviously and, and Jeannie and I work from home as well. So we know all about it. But for a lot of people during this pandemic, it's been the first time they've ever done it. Um, and I don't know if you had any tips to share about productivity and (laughs) you know making yourself do the work when you haven't got a boss standing over you (laughs) well definitely try to get out of your pajamas every day if you could do okay that's where I've been going wrong (laughs) okay (laughs) but um, no seriously I mean I don't know I think 
oh, and I work from home, I like to kind of have somewhere separate that I can work. So like I'm lucky, mm. you know, with my outbuildings and stuff that I have options, you know, to work in different parts. Mm. I know at times where like, we say if we were getting work done on one of the buildings, I'd have stuff in at the kitchen table or I'd have it in the sitting room or something. And it's like, a nightmare because you can't separate yourself from it and you can't close it off at the end of the day which I find quite difficult especially with my things because I work for myself you're always feeling like you have to reply to emails straight away because you don't want to miss out on a job you don't want to be like oh what someone else replied to that person before me and you know there's always this guilt I think so you have to be able to shut the computer away in a room and just not go near it and don't have your work emails on your phone when you leave the room because you might as well just have the computer with you in this day I go wrong (laughs) and then you see them popping up on your phone and then you're like I've got to reply to them you're so right do you do you also find um working from home in the in the countryside does it um give you more sort of you do a creative job does it give you more inspiration um you know how does it affect your creativity oh I mean it, it totally does I mean one I think one of the biggest things it did for me like when I started working from home I was fully digital And then I went to doing graphic design because I kind of wanted to get away from like the coding techie side of what web design was. And so I went to just graphic design, which was really just Photoshop and stuff like that. And then you're living in the countryside and you're going, you know, it still feels quite unnatural to be just working such a digital Mm. job all the time. And you kind of gradually go, oh, you know, I'd like to do something a bit more hands on. And you kind of makes you want to do things with your hands. It makes you want to be more. I think maybe a bit more old fashioned in what you do, you know, you know, and you get to a stage where you're like sitting out in the garden drawing (laughs) for like three days in the sunshine, which is, is lovely. And like, I would back in the day, like before they had, you know, iPads and stuff where you could draw on them, I would have literally just went in and scanned stuff. Maybe one day a week, I would have sat at the computer and scanned and digitized stuff. But it, it just makes you, I think, more aware of like how much time you spend in front of a computer when there's such beauty outside you I think when you're in a city everyone's at computers and everyone's rush 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 but in the countryside the majority of the people around you are working on the land and they're working with their hands and they're outside in the fresh air like when I was very busy when I would have been doing graphic design like Jeannie I probably went outside maybe once a day because like when you work from home you're not commuting you know so you're literally just you have to make the effort to get outside and you see other people doing it and you're like I really need that in my life I need to I think you're more aware of it where I think when you're in a city you can kind of just forget about it because everyone's going so strong all the time you know I actually think you're so much more productive when you have had that break especially a break in nature you know you come back refreshed do you have any advice for people adapting to life in the countryside once you kind of know that it's going to be quiet (laughs) don't be under any illusions like quietness is like the biggest pro and the biggest con of living in the countryside if you're okay with spending time in your own head and you're okay to spend time on your own you love it but if you're not you need to kind of have a game plan going into your new life things like having outbuildings so that if you want to try different hobbies and stuff like that you've the space to do it having a big enough garden so if maybe you want to just get out and potter around in the garden like I see houses a lot and they have like this huge house and the person who was selling it just wanted to keep most of the land. So they literally give you a garden that you would actually even be considered small in a town. And you're looking at it going, somebody needs to live a country life in that house. So they need like a shed for their lawnmowers and their everything, all this stuff they need. Like they're going to have hobbies. They're going to have 
you know, it's, it's a very different way of life when you live in the countryside. And I think you need to make sure that when you're buying a house that you buy somewhere that you can grow into. And how, was it easy, is it easy, do you think, easier to make friends in the countryside than it is in the city? Um, it's hard to know. I mean, I think it's probably more difficult to make friends your own age because there just aren't that many of them. But I think your, your group of friends in the countryside can be so much more varied. Do you know, like the ages yeah. of your friends and stuff. And it's lovely, you know, because you end up kind of almost, you know, it's not so much that you have drinking buddies. It's that you have like a community of people that you could ring if something happened, you know, where I think like a lot of the people I would go out with wouldn't necessarily be that reliable if I needed yeah. them. If like my car didn't start, you know, on a morning or something, I, I kind of think they'd be like, oh, God, you're the person I would ring if that happened to me. I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> So, you know, I think it, it's it's a different type of friends. But yeah, definitely, I think people in the countryside, I think, are a lot more open to, you know, talking to you and getting to know you. Like when I moved in here first, within the week of me being here, everybody on my lane had made the effort to come over to the house to see who I was and to introduce themselves and to see did I need anything. And, you know, so lovely. yeah. And I mean, and like the average age on my lane, I mean, like my next door neighbor, she's in her 80s now. So she would have been in her 70s then. And, um, you know, and she still made the effort, you know, to come over and invite us oh, over for dinner and stuff. So we could kind of get a feel for the place and all. It was just and like her house, because it's like rural Ireland. Her house was built by the same family as my house was. So the inside of her house is wow. a carbon copy. of my house. Oh, that's fascinating. So she was like, come in and see what we did, because you know we've seen your house there for years and we're so delighted someone actually saved it and they say if you want to get any ideas and you know people are just so good you know really good and you didn't have a front door either Maggie so everybody could see it oh everyone did yeah I'm sure they did it's hilarious (laughs) no it was I mean it was like I think the guy that owned the house and the guy that owned the house had it immaculate in its dereliction for want of a better word like (laughs) it was completely clean in the inside and completely empty but I'm talking like the wood paneling was taken off the walls, stuff like that. You know, there was mm-hmm. like the, the only the doors and the stairs were still in it. But other That's than it, that, yeah. you had no concept of what life was like in it or anything, you know, beforehand. So, I mean, but in, it's good in a way because I suppose it means that there was no in, there was no kind of um incentive for people to come in and mess around in here or anything you know it was just so empty it wasn't really of any attraction to anyone coming in yeah you know getting a, a real blank slate for you though to then just make it as you wanted which is cool. yeah and I'm like trying to get it back the way it was I'm like I wonder what way would they have done this I wonder yeah. what did this used to look like and people come to the house still and go oh I knew the girl that lived here or I was bride. one lady came and she was like I was bridesmaid to one of the girls out of this house and the last time I was here was the day of her wedding and I was like oh my god oh, <laughs> do you so remember anything I'm like going do you have photos <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what did the fireplace look like <laughs> <laughs> what did they use this room for I'm really confused <laughs> I've um I've read recently Maggie about Irish estate agents in particular fielding calls from England and further afield and you know people putting in bids on houses in Ireland that they've never even seen in real life have you encountered any interest um on cheap Irish houses from further afield well I mean like I think when it comes to like the demographic that uses my Instagram feed it seems like a lot of my comments tend to come from Americans and you know the UK Australia and stuff like that but 
when it comes to the people that kind of buy the houses, anyone that's gotten in touch with me to say that they've actually bought one of the houses have always been Irish, surprisingly enough. You know, I, I get a lot of stick from people who kind of go, and especially recently, who tell me that, like, I'm going to be the reason that, like, there's no Irish people in rural Ireland. <laughs> and I keep trying to explain to people that, like, my show was not on outside of Ireland. You know what I mean? And I had loads of people getting in touch going, oh, my God, we can't see the show. And like on my Instagram feed, my I have like analytics and it's 90 percent Irish people with yeah. uh, and probably another 85 percent of that in Dublin. So this is this is the split, you know, so then that last 10 percent is split between America, the UK and Australia really will be the strong groups then. But I mean, it's I feel like maybe estate agents are kind of just saying because they, they tend to say now when people have been telling me that they ring and they go, oh, now you'll want to bid a good bit on this house because there's a lot of interest in it from outside of Ireland since the TV show. And I kind of think they're just using it as a sales tactic to push the price <laughs> because the people outside of Ireland couldn't see the show. So. <laughs> um, do you ever regret making the move? No. I mean, like we talk about it all the time here. <laughs> we say... It, like sometimes it's, it can be difficult, like, you know, living in a house that's semi derelict because like everyone thinks my house is completely finished and I have parts of my house that I love and there's other parts of it that I struggle with, you know, and the main reason I struggle with it is because I borrowed what I borrowed at the time to do up my house and I swore I would not borrow more because I didn't want to just get into this huge mortgage. If I can pay for my mortgage, if I end up on social welfare that's the safest I can possibly be in my life. Like this was something like even in my early 20s, I was very kind of acutely aware of that. So the the thing for me is it's, I find it difficult at times and I don't want anyone to think it isn't, but what's the alternative? And that's the thing for me, I didn't have an option. And looking at it now with the price of houses and the money I still make, I would not be able to afford to buy any of those houses still. It's you're either, I think kind of, it's either in you to live in the countryside or it isn't. Um, and I see loads of people from towns who are like, oh, I just I, I'm buying a house in the countryside. You know, it's in your soul, I think, yeah. <laughs> to live if, if you want to do it. Um, when I look back on what other options I would have had even still, I you can't regret it because the, the alternative was me still living in a flat with no heating or living in my parents yard, mm. you know, and yeah. that's that's the only options I would have had like or or going on like a housing list. And like giving up my job and making a career choice of giving up my job so I could get a house, which is crazy. And that was suggested to me. Don't even think I'm joking about that. I went there going, this is not a career choice, lads. Don't be telling people this as if it's a career choice. It's crazy. You know, I mean, it's there as a safe haven for people who are struggling. It shouldn't be something that you choose to no, do. Of course yeah. Not. Yeah. So yes, they are my alternative. So I think in that respect I I can't, even when I have really tough days, I yeah. I there's no there's no other option I would have had, you know. No. <laughs> That's a really morbid. I don't want to no. say I think no, people I, talk I, about the the sugar coated side of it yes. so much and they don't really like people I think I live in a magazine layout farmhouse that and I'm only waiting for somebody to offer me a spread so they can see the inside of my house that's not what my house looks like you know no. and I'm very wary of buying into that and having people looking at it going well my house isn't good enough because yeah. you know because I don't have all those things because like to be honest 
you shouldn't be judging your house based on what other people think of it. Anyway. No. no, it's your home. It's your haven, isn't it? It is it's, literally. And yeah. it is the best that we could do. And yeah. so many young people, I think, need to realize that instead of waiting for perfection, yes. you need to just get into somewhere that's better than where you are now. And if a derelict house with open fires is an improvement in where you are now, there's something wrong because that was what would happen to me. Like it shouldn't be an improvement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Like. But that's the way it is. And that's 15 years ago. And it's it's still the same. Yeah. <laughs> probably has even got worse, I, I think. Yeah. You know, all, all the young people I know in their 20s just can't ever imagine owning their own property. Yeah, I don't think they even think about it now. Um, and that's sad, I think, in a way that it's been kind of almost whitewashed out of their psyche as a 20 something year old that you just oh no don't even think about that that's above you no no wait till you're in your 30s you know and it's like it'd be nice to think that we could change it though I don't know it'd be nice to think that I think a lot of people choosing to live in you know semi-derelict houses or choosing to do up a house in the countryside so much of it is a mental thing it's like they don't want people judging them about it they don't want um, I think there's a lot of misinformation as well, like about people thinking that you cannot find tradesmen or that it's going to cost you. Like I get a lot of people who tell me that, oh, you couldn't do up that house. It, it will be cheaper to just knock it down and rebuild it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't think people understand how expensive it is to knock a house down and to clear it off the site and then to rebuild it, set foundations in and rebuild it and do all your groundwork yeah. again. Like it's not, it's crazy. Or people will go, oh, you couldn't live in that it might be 30,000, but it cost you 200,000 to do it up. And I'm like, well, it would if you want marble countertops yeah. and you want four on suites. But if you actually just wanted to restore it and get it to a stage that it was maybe had quite a nice energy rating, so you were comfortable, yeah. but it wasn't this monstrosity of a McMansion, then you can, of course, do it up for maybe 50,000, 60,000 max, I would think. Also, I think there's something to say. Uh, until recently, I lived in a very old cottage and we moved to a new build because we needed more space. And I have seen in the two years that I've lived here, this this house has already fallen apart. My old house was hundreds of years old. <laughs> and, and it was doing blooming brilliantly. You know, I think they made things to last back in the days. I sound like my mother, but it's true. <laughs> no, but you're totally, you're totally right. Like if you're looking at a house and it's 200 odd years old yeah. and it's mm. still standing and you're thinking how long are those now and I don't have anything against new builds it's just not my thing but I look at like you know houses that are timber framed and stuff and I'm thinking like they have a very long lifespan but I would be wary of the 200 year question now <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's it and but then again you know I'm not educated on it I just kind of think if these houses are already still up after 200 I agree that's they're not going anywhere it's <laughs> yeah. a huge thing and people go oh god no that's that's you couldn't live in that <laughs> like I'd give it a go though if I could get another 60 years out of it it'd be worth it <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to pass it on to future generations I just need somewhere to live <laughs> If you could find your dream house at a price you could afford, but it was right bang, slap in the middle of the city, would you move in? Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love, I do, I, I find, you see, cities, I see, I, I'm biased now because I was in the city last weekend. I was up in the middle of Dublin and I was just like, oh my God, everything's so convenient. You see, me personally, I, I love the idea of city living. 
And I love the idea of like complete isolation. They're my two things. And, you know, I mean, if I had all the money in the world, I'd have an apartment in the middle of Dublin city centre and I'd have a little cottage on the side of a mountain yeah. that like didn't even have electricity. If I could get away with it, I'd love that. I would love it. If you but, could only have one, though, which would it be? Uh, oh, here. Always here. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, like... If if you're living in a house and, you know, you're kind of doing it up and you're, you know, constantly putting money into it and stuff like that. And someone says to you, well, look, if you if I gave you a house that you would absolutely adore in Dublin city centre and it was paid for or you, you know, it was the same price and it was completely yeah. finished. I would definitely my sensible side would still kick in and go, well, look, if the quality of life that I can give my kids and stuff when I have them is going to be improved. Like you have to think of that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, even now, like like these houses have always been there. And at least people now since the show and the feed, I think, are a little bit more aware that they're out there. Mm. And if people can kind of see them as a viable option for housing, maybe there will be some, you know, incentives for people to get into them, incentives for people even to sell them that own them and they're not for sale because there's a huge amount of them. We all see them, you know, when we travel home and we're traveling across the country. There's so many of these houses that are derelict and they're not for sale at all. And surely from a sustainability point of view as well, it's it's got to be a good thing. Oh, totally. Sure. Of course. Like moving into a house and doing it up as opposed to completely building a brand new site. I mean, if nothing else, the fact that you're using up greenfield space in the countryside, yeah. which could have trees planted. <laughs> like yeah. put trees everywhere. It's, it's, of course, it's more sustainable, you know. I mean, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, I have spoken to people about that before and people who would know a lot more than me. And it's just crazy how much more environmentally friendly it is to just restore a house sooner than build a brand new one you know or even heaven forbid which is quite common knock it down and build a new one it's like you're not even building one in a greenfield site you're actually just taking the energy to knock it and clear it and send it to a landfill oh it's so lovely that you you know you're encouraging people to um make these old houses back into homes again really isn't it it's a lovely thing I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I hope people will kind of open their minds up a little bit to them. You know, even the people who it isn't a necessity for, like people who just have the choice and go, go you know, I kind of like old houses and I, I never really thought of that as an option. The renovation project really is only as big as you make it. There is no reason if a 70 or 80 year old person was able to live functionally in that house that a 20 something year old cannot live in that house. Like these are our most vulnerable people. Do you know, and if they're yeah. able to survive in a house like that, we can survive in houses like that. You don't need to come in and do a whole new build on it. You can just go, well, look, I can survive in this. And maybe my first thing, prioritize what you like. Do you want your office first? Would you like a fitted kitchen? Would you like your kitchen done first? And do something that's just going to make it really easy for you. Like I know with me, one of the first things I did was get a room together for people to stay in. Yeah. Like I didn't really mind what my bedroom was like, but I wanted people to be able to visit. People would kind of look at it and laugh and go, I can't believe you did your guest room up before you did another room. But, you know, it just kind of makes you feel more so like you you have a home and that people, when people come and visit you, it feels like you have a home oh, too. You definitely. Oh, well, Maggie, you'll have to get your guest room ready because you'll have two more guests. Yeah. <laughs> soon. That's me and June. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's temporary. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story and for, for giving your advice to other people who want to do the same, Maggie. It's been lovely speaking to you. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you, Maggie. Right, we've got another city quitting dilemma. Alex has been in touch with a question about moving back home. 
Please leave your message after the tone. So I'm currently living in Amsterdam. I've been here for the last two years for work, but my job's coming to an end in the next couple of months. So at the moment, my plan is to move back home in November. Um, But I'm just a bit worried that it's going to be like taking a step backwards and I'm going to have trouble fitting back into my hometown because like lots of my friends have left and I'm just worried it's all going to feel a bit claustrophobic after having so much fun in Amsterdam. I was just wondering what you guys think. Thank you so much for getting in touch, Alex. It will be a big change, but I think look at the positives, particularly in the short term. You know, you're going to get to reconnect with family, see old friends again, um, if we're allowed. (laughs) Um, And a change of scene could be a really good thing. It could get the creative juices flowing. And it also means that you'll spend quality time with your parents rather than just a kind of rushed visit for a few days. And that's something I can really relate to and something I really value now I've moved back to my hometown. Are there any other positives you've had, Jeannie, moving back home? Well, there's there's loads. I mean, you're not moving to a new place and having to forge new connections and make new friends and sort of orientate your way around town, which if you've got my sense of direction, um, it can be a challenge <laughs> when you move to your hometown um, where you've lived before. You just know everything about it. You know the streets, you know the people. Um, so yeah, life life can be a bit easier than than moving to another city where uh, you don't know anyone, you don't know um, the location, you don't know where's good to eat out. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, there are definite benefits. Yeah, I I have thought about in the past moving back home to Devon, um, mm-hmm. but I've just never been convinced it's been. Maybe it's just not been the right time for me. I've got this sort of fear of going backwards if I move back home, and also that um, I'll move back into sort of familiar patterns that I had like being the youngest child again (laughs) and you know um just I just I don't know it's never appealed to me but I can I can see the positives but I suppose I love living in the southeast because I'm so connected but one of the great things about wherever you move these days is you can be more connected now can't you I mean long ago I wouldn't have moved back home because a the shops were dreadful but hello online shopping (laughs) And, and b um, you know, it was really hard to find a job if you didn't want to stay in that area. But now you can. You can do job searches. Um, a lot of interviews are happening remotely now because of all the uh, the COVID situation. So yeah. um, I think there there are definitely some positives. Not quite right for me, but I think it, if it's the move you've got to make, you'll find a way to make it work. I agree. And I think as well, if you do end up being home and really enjoying it, which you might well do, um, who knows, you know, you might be able to find a job that allows you to stay there and, um, you know, either work locally or work remotely. Um, As I said before, so many of us are remote working now and, and, um, you know, that's definitely an option. So give it, uh, give it the benefit of the doubt, I think, and go for it. And hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as I have. Yeah, good luck, Alex. Hope it all works out well for you. Thank you at home for joining us on All Change, Please. We've got a brilliant season lined up for you and we'll be back in a fortnight's time with a really exciting guest. In the meantime, please review, subscribe and share this podcast if you've enjoyed it. It really helps us out and we'd love to hear from you if you've got a city quitting dilemma you'd like us to discuss on the show. You'll find us on Twitter at AllChangePod or email us at allchangepodcast at gmail.com.